With Nick Saban out of the way, Georgia is the unquestioned favorite to win the SEC championship in 2024. But who can contend with the Bulldogs? Who might see them in the conference championship game in Atlanta? Also, is the sky falling in Tuscaloosa amid this transfer transition with Caleb DeBoer on the job? We will check in on that as well. Welcome into SEC Football Unfiltered, our podcast from the USA Today Network. I'm Blake Topmeyer alongside John Adams. John, we uh, we see these way too early college football rankings come out right around the time of the national championship game. I know you had a power rankings come out around that time as well, but oh, we've had an important development since then. Uh, part one, Nick Saban retires, replaced by Kalen DeBoer. Part two, a uh, lot of transfers at Alabama. We'll get into that more later. But wanted to check in on our top and bottom of the conference because you got Georgia earmarked at the top. And then, of course, as the years go by, Vanderbilt annually earmarked for the bottom. So we're going to check in today on who can contend with Georgia at the top and who can contend with Vanderbilt for the basement? We'll get into some of those uh, in-between schools somewhere down the line in the offseason. Today, we're just focused on the top and the bottom. So where do you, where do you want to start? Maybe should we, should we start at the top or should we start at the bottom with Vanderbilt? Uh, let, we, when have we ever started a podcast with Vanderbilt? So let's do that. Let's have okay. a little bit, uh, you know. A little bit of fun down there in the... Uh, yeah, down there... Uh, I think anytime your slogan has down in it, that's not a good thing. Anchor down. Anchor way down. Way, way <laughs> down. And I've never quite understood why they embrace that. So, but they have, and good for them. They're sticking with it, uh, showing the kind of consistency that they've shown in the one loss department. I really think uh, Vanderbilt under Clark Lee's probably dropped off a bit uh, despite the big talk when he arrived, and I don't blame him. All coaches talk big when they first go to Vanderbilt. Uh, they'll change the culture. Uh, there's no reason you can't win at Vanderbilt, they'll tell us, and they'll cite other highly acclaimed academic institutions where there's been a somewhat success, maybe Back in the day at Stanford, certainly. Uh, Duke's had some success. Vanderbilt, not so much, other than James Franklin. I think unless James Franklin decides he doesn't want to stay in the Big Ten and wants to return to Vanderbilt, I think Vanderbilt has pretty much got a lock on that on that last place. And no longer will you can you say, well, Vanderbilt's 14th in the SEC or seventh in the SEC East. Now it's just 16th. Yes. Yeah. Everybody's talking about like, you know, who will be impacted by Oklahoma and Texas coming in? How will <laughs> Texas and Oklahoma transition? Uh, yes. The, 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 the untold part of this is that Vanderbilt now goes from being the 14th best team in the conference to the 16th best team in the conference. But we'll see if someone can replace them down there in the cellar. Uh, an important Vanderbilt update, John. Um, as all their quarterbacks transferred <laughs> after the season, but they punched back recently. They got Diego Pavia. Hope I'm saying that right, Diego. Uh, Diego Pavia was the uh, quarterback at New Mexico State, beat Auburn 
He's transferred to Vanderbilt through three touchdown passes in that uh, New Mexico State upset of Auburn. So Vanderbilt got one in the portal. In fact, they maybe got a better transfer quarterback than a couple other SEC schools. So uh, I don't think that's going to cure all their problems. I don't think it's, uh, I I think Diego might wish he's back at New Mexico State at some point, but I did want to just share that update, John, that uh, Vanderbilt, after losing all their quarterbacks after the season, now has their heir apparent. Well, see, I thought that Vanderbilt had added from Utah, Utah's third string quarterback who played a lot, Nate Johnson, because of injury. Uh, I believe they did that as well. I guess I just, uh, Maybe in, incorrectly assumed that Diego was going to win the job. Uh, he had the better season last year, although it was at the Group of Five level. But yes, you're right. They they also got Nate Johnson, the, the uh, guy from Utah. So they got a couple guys from out west. I saw Nate play a few times, so I'm not giving up on him winning the job. In fact, I will support his candidacy. You can have Diego, and I'll take Nate. He's uh, passing is not really his forte. Uh, he's got a pretty strong arm, though, and maybe with that Vanderbilt coaching staff working with him, he could develop into something very special. Think Jalen Milrow, perhaps. So we'll see how that unfolds. Ah, <laughs> uh, and and since we're talking about, can anybody go anchor down low with the Commodores? I've got a candidate. All right, fire away. South Carolina uh, and. An SEC East compadre, which is headed in the wrong direction when we last checked under under Shane Beamer. Um, losing Spencer Rattler at quarterback. And this was a very telling story, I thought, when it pursued Robbie Ashford, Auburn's quarterback, uh, in the transfer portal. And I think he did end up signing with South Carolina. He did. Okay, well, I think if you're pursuing Robbie Ashford as your quarterback, unless he plans to play another position, that's a uh, a warming a warning sign, screaming bright red, a siren going off that things are not going the way you had intended. And they also have a, a what's the uh, freshman quarterback's name? Lenoris Lenoris Sellers. Yes, he showed some athleticism, but really. I mean, if you took away Spencer Rattler from that team last year, uh, was it that much worse than Vanderbilt? No, that's a good point. And and that's that's probably where I would have started the conversation, too, with South Carolina. I think there are a couple other candidates for this distinction of, uh, you know, prime pick for the SEC seller. But I think South Carolina is a good place to start. I mean, you think about, like, what did that program have going for them? Well, they had Spencer Rattler going for them uh, and not much else. But in so much as they did have other weapons, uh, Juice Wells was their star receiver from a couple years ago. Uh, Not so much this this past year, didn't play much due to injuries uh, last year. But he's since transferred, so there's not even a hope of getting him back healthy and become a weapon again. He's now on Lane Kiffin's roster at Ole Miss, one of the many pickups for the portal king so yeah spencer rattler's gone juice wells is gone south carolina hasn't had a competent offensive line in years certainly not during the shane beamer era they haven't had a competent ground game 
in years, certainly not during the Shane Beamer era. And, you know, Beamer's, the, the promising start to Beamer's tenure was really all built around, um, you know, for the most part, getting Spencer Rattler and that eight and five season two years ago in 2022. Now they, they, they were better than expected in 2021 as well in Beamer's debut, but then they got even better in 2022 came back the other direction last year. And now as they transition from Rattler to either Robbie Ashford or the three-star redshirt freshman Lenora Sellers, that's a, that's a downgrade either direction, whether they go with Sellers or Ashford, they were a bad team last year and they're set to downgrade a quarterback yeah, I think they are are very fairly the prime contender to Vanderbilt for last place in the SEC. I, um, you know, when I think about Spencer Rattler, you could almost, and I am, I am firmly in his corner. I have been ever since he left Oklahoma. However, if you look at it objectively, you could also, you could almost make a case that he was the SEC MVP. If you say, where would this team be? with what it is with him and then what it is without him over the past two years, how many games would South Carolina have won without him? Uh, not very many. I think it would be down there at the, at the Vanderbilt level. And I wonder how Spencer Rattler would have fared if he'd have gone to Vanderbilt. He couldn't play behind a much worse offensive line than he did at South Carolina. That's for sure. All right. Well, we'll we'll get into another candidate here, John. I think we got a good starting point there. But uh, how about one from the SEC West? I'll get us rolling over there. Mississippi State is in another year of transition. Uh, they're transitioning coaches. The one-year experiment with uh, Zach Arnett never really took hold. Didn't get much chance to take hold. He was <laughs> he was out the door pretty quickly. Fired um, just ten games in to his first year on the job. Uh, also, Will Rogers, who had been the starting quarterback at Mississippi State since approximately 1972, <laughs> uh, he transferred, and so there will be a transition at quarterback as well. The newcomers, Jeff Levy, the former offensive coordinator at Oklahoma, previously the offensive coordinator under Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss, he's now the head coach at Mississippi State. Uh, new quarterback, he brought in Blake Shapin. He was uh, previously Baylor's starter. Uh, I believe he uh, he started his career at Oklahoma State, right? He went from Oklahoma State to Baylor, now to Mississippi State. He, he was okay at Baylor. He was not a superstar by any means, but he was all right. So um, they got their new quarterback, but you know this is, this is a program that wasn't very good last year. They've lost some pieces, new coach. They won just one game in the conference last season. It was that first team to score touchdown wins in Fayetteville where they beat Arkansas 7-3. to So they're just 1-7 and in the conference last year. I don't see them being much, if at all, better. So I've got them. Uh, they also lost Jaquavius Marks, their leading rusher from last year. I've got Mississippi State as another contender for the seller. What say you? Oh, yeah. that's a, I think Mississippi State is a very strong candidate. I do think it has a better quarterback uh, than South Carolina and Vanderbilt too. Making a coaching coaching transition two years in a row isn't usually a path to great success. Uh, you go back to when Tennessee fired Philip Fulmer after the 2008 season. 
uh, brought in Lane Kiffin, who stuck around for an entire year, 2009. Then he vamoosed, and in came Derek Dooley to pick up the pieces in, hired in uh, mid-January. He never had a shot, and, and I don't really know if you could have expected any better than I guess it was maybe six and seven or something, one of three consecutive seven-loss seasons for him. And Tennessee went on to have four consecutive uh, seven-loss seasons. So uh, Mississippi State probably should want to look at that track record of Tennessee's very hard. It will, it will be difficult being optimistic given that. Yeah, and and there's something that's changed to make it even harder, I think, since the the Tennessee era, John, is you go back-to-back years with coaching changes, that means you're losing transfers. Now, Zach Arnett actually did a really good job of keeping that roster intact um, after the death of Mike Leach. Mississippi State a year ago didn't suffer as many transfers as you would have expected, given that coaching transition where they promoted from in-house. But now they're experiencing a little more of the roster turnover that you would come to expect in this transfer era. Uh, Players transfer from every program every year, but there tends to be an uptick anytime there's a coaching change and you're seeing that um, at Mississippi State. I'll throw out one more candidate for you from the SEC West, John, and then we'll see if we're, we're missing anyone, but I think we've got a pretty good list here for top candidates for the seller. Uh, My other one, well, from the old West, I keep saying divisions, it's gone now, but for the old SEC West, I'm going to go with uh, Arkansas. <laughs> Sam <laughs> Pittman hanging by, hanging by a thread there in Fayetteville due to that uh, uniquely constructed contra- contract where if his record hits a certain point, which could happen this coming season, his buyout will plummet and it'll all of a sudden become discount days for Arkansas to fire him. So, uh, Sam Pittman might want to have that day circled on his calendar in, in preparation for being potentially unemployed. But Arkansas went one and seven last year. They're trying a new offensive coordinator. Come on down, Bobby Petrino. You couldn't save Jimbo Fisher. Can you save Sam Pittman? Uh, KJ Jefferson, the veteran starting quarterback, he's out the door. Rocket Sanders, their running back. Uh, one one good thing for South Carolina. Uh, Rocket Sanders transferred to South Carolina. So that's that's one feather in Shane Beamer's cap. And it's one fewer feather uh, in Sam Pittman's. He, he, the, the head hog doesn't have many f- feathers left. Um, they they got a transfer quarterback as well. Talon Green transferred in from Boise State. I don't know if I see that as an upgrade. I mean, Green was fine for Boise State. They finished the year strong. But going from K.J. Jefferson, who at one time, not necessarily last year, but at one time looked like one of the better quarterbacks in this conference until, you know, Arkansas's offense imploded last year and KJ Jefferson regressed. But going from Jefferson to Talon Green, I don't necessarily constitute that an upgrade. I don't look at really much about this program and see it <laughs> upgrading. And that's saying something because they went one and seven last season. Well, first of all, I want to compliment you on your turnaround. Uh, this time last year, you were high on the Hogs. Certainly uh, high on KJ. And no high on KJ. I think you mentioned him in the same sentence with Heisman, maybe, as I recall. That might uh, be a let, stretch. but We we won't belabor that. But, yeah, um, Talon Green, um, not a real accurate thrower at uh, Boise, I didn't think, but he's a athletic and a good runner, as was KJ. I don't think he can run over 
linebackers like KJ could. Uh, do want to comment on that uh, Rocket Sanders move. <laughs> Usually, you're when you transfer, you're looking for greener pastures. I, I, I think I'm just wondering if he got confused and thought maybe he was going to North. He thought he was going to North Carolina, an easier conference, enhances stats for the NFL, and, and just ended up in South Carolina by mistake. I, I just find that as a very. <laughs> I mean. I mean, for a running back that, yeah, transferring to a program whose offensive line's been in shambles for like five years, that is a curious choice, to be sure. <laughs> yeah, and he's had some injury issues. I mean, this is this is not a fast track to the NFL for Rocket in all his speed. It's just, I'm concerned about his well-being. I, let me just put it that way. What's I don't know what's going on with him, but I, I want to ex express genuine concern. I think we've been in lockstep on all these picks. We aren't usually that much in agreement, but South Carolina, Mississippi State, Arkansas, that to me is uh, those three teams. Uh, not saying they can fall below the Commodores. That that takes something special. I, I, I think you have to – you, you got to have, for one thing, you got to have a horrible quarterback just a nightmarish quarterback situation. And maybe those teams do. We'll see. Um, but I want to throw one more out there. Okay. This, this, is, a, this is a sleeper a pick. sleeper pick for biggest loser. But notice how – notice in the past two seasons in the SEC how, how you've had a team a little bit come out of nowhere. That, that sort of uh, description for it. Uh, you had Tennessee in 2022 – was in the was number one in the first uh, college football playoff poll. Ended up eleven and two in it in the top ten. This past season, mighty Mizzou uh, roared out of the gates after I picked it to go next to Vanderbilt in the SEC East. Really, one of your more embarrassing picks of all time. I, I, yeah, I'm. Yeah, I was. Uh, I mean, I'm was, not saying you should have predicted eleven and two, but the idea yeah. that you thought. Florida was going to be better than Missouri. I tried to convince you for as much as I've been off on Arkansas and KJ the last couple of years, uh -huh. I was trying to tell you, I mean, Florida above Missouri and your picks last year, that just, that spoke of someone who is a little too much, a old school sec and, <laughs> you know, kind of Southern elitist, not recognizing those Midwesterners from Columbia Mo. Well, I, I'm trust me. I've changed as you will okay. find out shortly. Uh, yeah, and and I I've issued a public apology to Mighty Mizzou. Uh, you have, and, I, and I've just now given you a public reprimand. So we yeah, can move on. I, yeah, uh, forgiveness can be hard sometimes, uh, and I I think it. Uh, well, I won't go any more into Missouri. We'll talk about them in another podcast. What I think of them for this upcoming season, but my dark horse pick to challenge Vanderbilt is Florida. Mm. You're having buyer's remorse on not thinking Florida was going to stink last year, and you've you finally caught up to the pack here. I think. I, I think um, there's a perhaps a touch of vengeance there, uh, as you pointed out. I had I had Florida faring better than Missouri, and I was embarrassed by that. So could this be psychological lash psychologically lashing out at the Gators? Perhaps, but. 
You've already talked about Sam Pittman and his chances of surviving the next season. Not good. Probably better than Billy Napier's uh, at Florida. Uh, back. To I don't know about better, but they're both in pretty, okay. pretty uh, rising waters. Fair enough. Yeah, Billy Napier back to back seven lost seasons. Um, guys, he's lost guys to the transfer portal. Yeah, Florida, Florida falls into that category of they've lost much more than they've gained in and, the portal. And, you know, the, even a lot of these these programs, when you when you lose a lot, maybe in a coaching transition, usually you're still getting a, quite a few guys on the back end. Maybe you're not offsetting the caliber of talent, but you're usually offsetting your bodies. Florida's not done that. I mean, they've just lost a slew uh, of players, some some good players, too. Trevor Etienne, their running back, transferred to Georgia, going to be a really nice piece for Georgia. Scooby Williams, a linebacker, transferred to Texas A&M. Uh, Princely Yu, uh, his last name's a mouthful. I'm not going to attempt it, uh, but he's the uh, the really good edge rusher Florida had. Princely, he transferred to Ole Miss. And so, yeah, you look at what they lost versus what's coming in, certainly they lost more than they gained. Now, Unlike some of these other teams we've mentioned, John, I, I like their quarterback a little bit better, which is a 180 for me. I was, uh, I had Graham Mertz down at the bottom of my quarterback rankings last year. He showed me a lot last year in his first season of, as Florida starter. He, he's more of a middle-of-the-pack SEC quarterback. He's serviceable. He's not bad, but he doesn't have much around him. He's going to have even less around him, I think, this upcoming year than he did this past year. So, yeah, I think as far as dark horse picks go, Florida's not a bad one when you consider they weren't very they weren't great last year, just five and seven, and they lost they lost quite a bit off of a mediocre team. As I recall, your assessment of Graham Mertz uh, bordered on public ridicule. It did, combat, and, yeah, and and yeah. Now that you've issued multiple public apologies to uh, Missouri, I think I need to write an open letter to Graham Mertz and give him his due as a middle of the pack SEC quarterback rather than a bottom-tier SEC quarterback. I also think it would be a nice idea. It's not a necessity, but if you would write an open letter, handwritten too, that the personal touch goes a long way. Send it to to Graham Mertz's parents would be yeah, a nice touch, I think. Graham Mertz's father at one time was touting him uh, for the Heisman last season. So I don't think his parents are, I don't think their confidence is rattled in any way. Certainly not his father's. His father thought he had a, had a Heisman uh, son in the yeah. making there at one point. He had Joe Burrow was referenced uh, at one point as far as transfers that went on to win the, went on the Heisman. Of course, the transfer did go on to win the Heisman, but it wasn't Graham Mertz. Fine season though he had. Uh, Jaden Daniels won instead. Well, if he's a combination of John Elway, Peyton Manning, Johnny Manziel, Archie Manning, Cam Newton. Maybe he can win the Heisman. All rolled into the, one. Yeah. Carry, he's like, uh, all, right, all right. Well, that's a good five-pack of teams, John. I got them yeah. kind of boxed in, in our, as we look for tiers in the SEC. We got our five-team bottom tier as in no particular order. Uh, Florida, Arkansas, Mississippi State, South Carolina, and Vanderbilt all fighting for the bottom. Let's flip over and see who's going to be fighting Georgia for the top. A couple of weeks ago, I think that conversation may have started with Alabama. Uh, I suspect that's going to look a little bit differently now. So who would you put at the top of the list 
as top contender to Georgia for the SEC crown? I'd probably go with Georgia's second team. <laughs> if they could play the backups, like back the in backup, yeah, yeah, they in the peak of Alabama's dynasty, the, the, the SEC championship would have been Alabama's first string against its second string if that was allowed a lot of years. Sure, I, I think if you go back, if you rewatch, and I don't think anybody will, but if you rewatch Georgia versus Florida State in the Orange Bowl, I mean, do you really think Florida State could have come close to Georgia's second team in that game? I don't. Well, Florida State was playing its third string, so well, that's let's be true. fair. <laughs> well, good point. Um, yeah, I think Georgia's head and shoulders above everybody, and I wasn't uh, I wasn't dropping Alabama much initially, but uh, with those defections to the portal, particularly Caleb Downs, uh, All American defensive back, I kind of think Texas might be number one. Uh, with with Quint, Quinn Ewers returning at quarterback, had a lot of talent across the board on that team, and lost losing a running back to the NFL, but the guy that replaced him was just as good, if not better. So I kind of like Texas. First year in the league, it's got a lot, lot of momentum, helped itself somewhat in the transfer portal, where, of course, recruited well, got some proven players returning. So I would go with Texas as the number one threat. Yeah, we're we're still in agreement here, John, because that's where I would start it too. Quinn Ewers coming back, as you mentioned, veteran starter for Texas. A lot of the pieces off that offensive line coming back, that's so important for them. Their biggest losses, I would say, are on defensive line and wide receiver. Now, wide receiver, I think they did a really nice job of addressing that. They lose Xavier Worthy and A.D. Mitchell, two, two standouts, but they brought in Isaiah Bond, uh, the hero of the Iron Bowl from Alabama, uh, who I thought was Alabama's best wide receiver. I think he's got a bright future ahead. He transferred before Kalen DeBoer had even unpacked his bags in Tuscaloosa. Uh, and he's not the only one. Uh, Texas got three really good wide receiver transfers. In addition to Isaiah Bond, they got Silas Bolden, uh, the transfer wide receiver from Oregon State. And they also got Matthew Golden from Houston. So they got Bolden and Golden. And they got Mr. Bond. Um, you know, it's tough to replace A.D. Mitchell and Xavier Worthy, but swapping in those three guys, you know, I, I think you could you could be just as good at wide receiver. They're going to remain just as good at quarterback offensive line. You mentioned the situation at running back. I think they're set up there. Defensively, my question is, will the defensive line be quite as good? That was the, the area of absolute strength for them last year. Uh, but overall... Yeah, I think Steve Sarkeesian's program has staying power. Uh, we talked about this like a year ago. You should have gotten your jokes in about Texas over the previous decade because the time <laughs> to make fun of Texas, uh, if you're doing it with a straight face, is over. Like this this program uh, is quote-unquote back. It's not a joke anymore. It's not a punchline to say that. And I think, they're, uh, I think they're a strong not only playoff contender, in year one in the SEC, but I think they're a strong contender to join Georgia in Atlanta. I absolutely agree. Well, uh, don't really like tooting my own horn, but uh, to your point, I did get my nice shots in on Texas. Uh, oh, I don't, I don't doubt that. Yeah, right up until it beat Alabama, I was taking shots at Texas. So, no, I'm, I'm in the Longhorns' corner now, and probably will be there a while unless it falters and then I will turn on them like a rabid dog. 
so um, I'm trying to think of somebody else. And to me, it's Georgia, a tier unto itself, and maybe Texas also a tier unto itself. Um, you mentioned one on the pod a few weeks ago, John, and I, I didn't really snicker. Um, I didn't think it was that crazy, but my eyes got a little bit big. We were talking about Lane Kiffin and how this might be his best roster ever. Or not might be. We think it is his best roster he's had at Ole Miss. He's entering year five at Ole Miss and the way he's done in the portal. Now, he did lose Quinshawn Judkins, the star running back. He transferred to Ohio State. But overall, another really good year in the portal for Ole Miss. They got Walter Nolan, the standout defensive lineman from Texas A&M. I mean, they got a bunch of guys. We already talked about Juice Wells, the wide receiver uh, from South Carolina. They got Logan Diggs, LSU running back, the the, the pass rusher from Florida. So many guys on on defense um, are, are fresh faces. And, and not just like bodies, not just warm bodies, but guys that can be uh, plug and play starters on that defense. We think about Lane and uh, his offensive wizardry. You know, he was kind of the quarterback wonderkind for a while, and and he's got Jackson Dart coming back as a year three starter. But really, this year in the portal, I've been even more impressed with what he's done in in acquiring defensive talent. Uh, he's got some, you know, a couple key offensive pieces that he he nabbed too. But really, he overhauled that defense uh, via transfers and. You know, when you said it a few weeks ago, that was back when Nick Saban was still on the job at Alabama, and I thought, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I see enough room for Ole Miss to get to Atlanta. But you look at it now, Alabama's not on the schedule. Yeah, Georgia is. They'll probably lose to him in the regular season. But I'm not so sure they couldn't get another crack at Georgia in Atlanta. I, I like Texas better, but as we're continuing this conversation, I think it's got to continue uh, with Ole Miss. Yeah, I agree, and and I'm I'm higher on Ole Miss now than I was a couple of weeks ago because of the Alabama losses in the portal. Uh, I think Ole Miss would probably be my pick as the next uh, next team to challenge uh, Georgia. We go back and we look at Lane Kiffin, his his history with offense and quarterbacks. You can just count on him having a potent offense. Go back to this past season when he won that while scoring festival against LSU, a good team, horrible defense, but a good team. And he can outscore people. Now he has more defense, but he's, he's still capable of winning that 52 to 47 game or 45, 42 kind of game. But I think Saturday after Saturday, that defense will be stouter particularly with uh, Walter Nolan from A&M kind of anchoring the middle of that line. And he got – who's a linebacker he got from uh, Arkansas? Chris Paul. Chris Paul. He was a very productive player at Arkansas. So, yeah, um, I think Ole Miss is probably – and he's got his quarterback returning. And Jackson Dart improved from one season to the next. If he can make the same kind of improvement going into next season, I think Ole Miss has a real shot at the playoff spot. And then the next team, and this is a kind of a dark horse, but uh, I think I would go with Tennessee. You're, you're saying Tennessee has a better chance to get to Atlanta than Alabama at this point. 
Are we are we overreacting to some of these losses at Alabama? Okay, let's look at it this way. Alabama has some young running backs that that may come on and be better than their last two. I thought their running backs were pretty much average. Certainly average at best by Alabama standards. Uh, lost a good receiver. I don't know where this is a great receiving core. I'm not sure how well Jalen Milrow will fit into the schemes of uh, uh, of DeBoer, but maybe he will. He's certainly talented. You build the offense around him. Boy, losing Caleb down, you lost the two best players on that defense. Dallas Turner going to the NFL and now losing Caleb Downs in the secondary. The thing I like about Tennessee, it addressed every weakness in the portal. Every one. Um, the last transfer it got, the most recent, uh, Lance Hurd from LSU, former five-star recruit, who's going to start at offensive tackle for Tennessee. I mean, he played a lot as a freshman last year, didn't start at LSU, but it had a veteran offensive line. So right away, so it loses Gerald Mincy, but gains Lance Hurd. I will say that's an upgrade. That that will be an improvement. Three veteran offensive linemen returning. They have 30-something. Each one has at least, I think, 30 starts uh, to their credit already in college. So other than offensive go- one offensive guard, I think the offensive line is set. The re- receiving core will be will be better. Tight ends will be better. Um, defense, um, Keenan Peely, the transfer from BYU, was hurt this past year, didn't play after the first game. I think he will really help Tennessee on defense. I think the defensive line uh, with uh, James Pierce, possible All-American, and then Omari Thomas could be a – could be an all-SEC type in the middle of the defensive front. Secondary has just been awful. But it it added three transfers who, who I think will be the three best DBs for Tennessee. And a lot of this, the main reason for my optimism about Tennessee is I think uh, Nico Yamaleava will be a star at quarterback. Yeah, I was wondering, you, you kind of buried the lead there. You're giving me all those reasons, and I, and I know how much you think of Nico. I mean, that that's the focal point here, right, is Nico replacing Joe Milton. I mean, if, yeah, if we're talking some, about Tennessee getting to Atlanta, that's that's the key development is is it's the Nico show now and, and just how highly you think of, of him. And, and we saw glimpses of that already against Iowa in the, in the Citrus Bowl. His first career start was a smashing success. Yeah, and – there would be a concern about having no really experienced backup behind him. If he goes down for just a game, that would be a problem. Uh, but he's a playmaker, and I think he will fit well into Josh Heupel's offense. So, yeah, those – so I think Tennessee is uh, – certainly has a shot at the playoff. Uh, it's schedule. You look now, we a team we haven't mentioned, um, Oklahoma. It's kind of hard to dismiss Oklahoma. It lost two or three offensive linemen, starters in the offensive line. Uh, lost its quarterback, but it's got a good quarterback coming up. Based on Oklahoma's track record, I wouldn't write it off as a playoff contender. I, I don't think you can. I don't know if I'd write it off as a playoff contender. I will write 
Oklahoma off as they continue to get to Atlanta. I don't see it happening. I, I think, you know, the, the, the smoke and mirrors coming out of Norman is that, oh, Dylan Gabriel might have lost his starting job. That's why he transferred, because he was going to lose the job to Jackson no. Arnold. No. Like, come on, that's ridiculous. <laughs> Dylan Gabriel, he wasn't losing his starting job. He transferred to Oregon. He's, he's, one of the, he's on the short list of preseason Heisman hopefuls uh, <laughs> out at Oregon now. So, yeah, Jackson Arnold might be... He might be a nice player, but he's something of an unknown. He was kind of up and down in Oklahoma's bowl game. And so I would give you that Oklahoma, I wouldn't push back on them maybe being a a contender for the playoff, but to be one of the top two teams in the SEC, I think that's probably where I would would draw the line. Um, Now, you've you've maybe convinced me on Tennessee, though, John. At first, I was giving you trouble of, of saying Tennessee before Alabama, in this pecking order of teams that could threaten Georgia at the top of the conference. But as you make the pitch there, I think you've got me on board with that. Um, I mean, yeah, they both bring their quarterbacks back and Milrow and well, I mean, Nico's coming back. He wasn't a starter, but both, both programs bring back quarterbacks that they trust. But, you know, Milrow, his top abilities this past year were twofold, his running ability and his downfield passing. Well, I'm not sure what that downfield passing is going to look like because he just lost his top two receivers. Jermaine Burton's off to the NFL and Isaiah Bond, as we mentioned, is now at Texas. So who's he going to have to throw it to downfield? And, you know, is Kalen DeBoer and Ryan Grubb's offense going to be set up to have him run it around, um, which is going to be his his top ability if he can't strike downfield? So, yeah, I have real concerns about Alabama for this this upcoming season. And when you factor in that that head-to-head with Tennessee is at Neyland Stadium, and Nico will will uh, will have some starts under his belt by then, you know, mid-October game at Neyland, I might like Tennessee in that game, and that means I like Tennessee's chances better to uh, uh, to get to Atlanta than than I think I do Alabama's. I think I think you've convinced me. Um. Yeah, I didn't convince you uh, on how bad Missouri would be last year, though. You, no, you stayed I away stood my from ground. No, you held your ground. Yeah, yeah, credit to you. So we got um, we got four there, or I guess including Georgia. We got four contenders, top contenders, top tier contenders for Atlanta. John, Georgia, Texas, Ole Miss, Tennessee. We've talked about some of the concerns we have with Alabama. I've poured a little bit of water on the idea of Oklahoma getting to. Uh, getting to Atlanta, although I'm okay with your idea of them contending for the playoff. Anybody else we're missing that could get to Atlanta? Do you think LSU or Missouri, I guess, would be the two other ones, you know, coming off pretty good seasons? Do you think they could could realistically threaten Georgia at the top of the conference? Could they threaten to get to Atlanta? Or are we stretching it, um, you know, beyond the, these top four teams that we've mentioned? Well, I'm not going to beat up on Missouri anymore. I'll wait to Smart see move. how the season yeah, season unfolds, but I don't see it, it as getting, making the playoffs. Or, um, LSU, to me, would be the, you know, it, you could make a case for putting LSU ahead of Alabama, I guess. Yeah, although as we're talking about programs in, tra- in transition, certainly LSU – is as well. I think they've upgraded their defensive coaching staff with Blake Baker uh, on board and and Bo Davis. I mean, really a revamped coaching staff for LSU. I think that's good. But 
boy, the loss of Jaden Daniels, Malik Neighbors, Brian Thomas. I mean, you go on down the line. It, they're, they're losing their whole hallmark there, and I think Garrett Nussmeyer is going to be good. But you know, Jaden Daniels won the Heisman with two superstar wide receivers, and they couldn't get to Atlanta this past year. So I got to think they're they're going to be a little bit of a step back over what they were, and what they were was a ten and three team this past season. I think Nussmeyer would have benefited more from those elite receivers than Jaden Daniels did because he's not the runner Jaden Daniels was. Jaden Daniels could pretty much carry an offense on his own. And certainly that enhanced his production, having Malik Neighbors, Brian Thomas to throw to. But I think Nussmeyer is one of these guys who he's a really good passer. He can get the ball to the right people make some big plays in the passing game, but he's not the running threat. So I think the drop-off on offense could be substantial. Defense has to be better for LSU, but still not enough so that I would put it ahead of the teams we've already mentioned. Yeah, I wouldn't either. And, um, you know, I know we keep referencing this, but it was it was notable that he said it. Brian Kelly told me last summer that he thought 2024, that means this season, was when uh, LSU could be realistically uh, expected to contend for a national championship. I wonder if he would go back and and revise that now, because if you look at the way LSU is recruiting for next year's recruiting class, I mean, they're on a heater. They've got three five-star prospects already committed to this next class for LSU. So I, I think that's a program still in good shape under Brian Kelly. Um, he's won 20 games through two seasons. I don't think we've seen the best of him yet at LSU, but I don't think this team's poised to contend for a national championship this year. I don't think that they're they're among the top contenders to get to Atlanta. I do think they're they're still positioned well for the future, but let's put a pin in, in their conversation about uh, being the top dogs maybe for another year or two. Uh, you know, I mean, patience is in short supply around the SEC, but the guy has won 20 games through two years. Expectations are going to ratchet up, but I think he can point to his recruiting momentum right now with those three five stars and say, things are okay now. They're going to get even better <laughs> around the corner. I think if you interview him this off season, I encourage you to do so. I think he will say, we'll be pretty good uh, yeah. this upcoming season. But 2027, that's our year. That's uh -huh. our year. Yeah. Put it a little further out there in the future. But with that 25 class, of course, now with uh, NIL and all this stuff, can you really count on him landing those guys? Uh, it, it's almost like if I saw a quarterback, if I got a commitment now, I would just like to be able to uh, move him to, uh, to my campus and keep him there under lock and key until he can sign. I just can't count on it. But, you know, maybe uh, – and maybe Kalen DeBoer should say the same thing. If, if you interview him this offseason, he said, we'll be okay this year, uh, but in 2027 we'll be really good. Well, I want to end our, our conversation there, John, uh, with Kalen DeBoer. We mentioned uh, is the sky falling in Tuscaloosa. We've rattled off some of the, the signature losses. There are other pieces, too, and uh, you know, not just scrub players, useful players that have transferred elsewhere. But, but the three keys, the three biggest names are probably Caleb Downs, the, the superstar safety, uh, Isaiah Bond, the wide receiver who transferred to Texas, 
um, and then Caden Proctor, the offensive lineman, who transferred to Iowa. Now, you know, there's a few guys from Washington, a few useful players, starter type players that have followed uh, DeBoer uh, to Tuscaloosa, but certainly Alabama falls into the category of programs that have lost more than they gain. Now, I contend that some of this is just life in uh, the portal era. If you change coaches for whatever reason, that coach leaves for another job, is fired, retires, you can expect to lose some of your best players to the transfer portal. Um, so I don't think this is necessarily a Kalen DeBoer issue as just a sign of the times. Um, however, I do think that these losses significantly alter my outlook on Alabama this season. Um, what's your take on this? It, it is sort of the panic meter that, uh, that, that you think is appropriate for Alabama. We, we know some fans were um, struggling with, with all these departures last week when they were going down. It does change the outlook for this year, but what, what should the panic meter be right now in Tuscaloosa? Well, fans tend to panic quickly. Panic uh, prevails over patience in the SEC. So I think there will be some of that among Alabama fans. I think it's significant, though, that Alabama is hiring a coach with offensive, uh, with an offensive track record, offensive expertise in Kalen DeBoer because he'll need it. When I look down in all the offensive areas, offensive line, receiver, running back, quarterback, Kalen DeBoer was better off last season at Washington in every area than he will be at Alabama this season. I really wonder how good Alabama's offensive line will be in 24 because I didn't think it was great this past season. And now it's lost Caden Proctor and J.C. Latham, I think, is uh, opt he's going to the NFL. So arguably losing two of its best offensive linemen. It lost its center too, but I don't think anyone will shed a tear over that after the semifinals. No. Um, but uh, no, so I just think he's got work to do in all those areas. Promising young running backs, that could be that could be helpful, but I don't know about the receiving core. There is a concern to me in all offensive areas. I would think on defense that Alabama will still be good. It's recruited well, recruited some, recruited some great players on defense, and I think it will be okay there. But I wonder about the offense. And this is a fan base that you know has come to expect greatness. I mean, Nick Saban taught them to expect that because he so frequently delivered it. Now, if we go back in time, 17 years ago, in Nick Saban's first season, he went 7-6. and six. But who's going to think about that now when you know they've come to expect national championships at Alabama or at the very least contention for national championships? So um, as we look at this schedule this year, John, I, I want to see what sort of record you think is reasonably in play for Alabama this year. So I'm not going to rattle off every opponent because some of these games are not worth really considering. They're going to win some of these. Uh, you can kind of count them as auto wins before the season starts. But I've got seven games written down as potential swing games for Alabama's season. So in the non-conference, their marquee game, they're at Wisconsin. And then there's six SEC games that I have earmarked here. They're home against Georgia. They're at Tennessee, they're home against Missouri, they're at LSU, they're at Oklahoma, 
and they're home against Auburn. That is a really, really tough schedule. Um, the SEC office did not take it easy on Alabama this year and not taking it easy on Caleb, Caleb DeBoer either, but the schedule was set before Nick Saban retired. But that's seven swing games I've got there, the, the non-conference against Wisconsin and then six in the SEC. So what do you think is a realistic record for Alabama? I would say uh, nine and three would be a really good season. And they win maybe three. They win four out of seven of those those toss. Yeah, but they also could lose four out of seven. So eight and four is not off the table. I think eight and four. uh, LSU's on the road. Georgia. I don't see it beating Georgia anywhere. I don't think it. See, I don't really see it beating Tennessee and Neyland now. Um. And the idea of finding, I, I realize the idea of finding a, a reasonable fan with reasonable expectations is is about as likely as finding a snowman in Gainesville, Florida, right? So, I mean, maybe it's crazy to say this, but do you think that fans would be reasonable in in reaction to an eight and four, nine and three type season? Are they going to realize, hey, this is a transition year? DeBoer got dealt a tough hand. Uh, you know, of course he was going to lose some guys in the transfer portal or, or would eight and four, nine and three spark some widespread panic, uh, among the, uh, the crimson clad faithful. Nine and three would raise tremendous concerns and the, those on the lunatic fringe would panic. Uh, eight and four would be widespread panic. Uh, the thing I've noticed about fans when they're, when they're pulling for a program that, that develops a dynasty, fans kind of accept that as a birthright as though, even though it's always pinned to one coach, usually Nebraska went from Bob Devaney to Tom, to Tom Osborne and maintained its status. But you look at dynasties in college football, it was usually with one coach. And, and I think the dynasty's over. But fans don't accept that readily. They just think, we're Alabama. No, you're Alabama with Nick Saban, and you once were Alabama with Bear Bryant. I think a more reasonable outlook would be what was Alabama with Gene Stallings. Solid coach, won a national title, great defensive coach. But it wasn't dominant. It didn't win back-to-back championships as Saban did. It's just. No, but I don't think fans – it will take a few years for fans to realize that the dynasty is over. See, they – I think they still think, well, we're Alabama. They don't think of it as we're Nick Saban's Alabama. That's how fans look at it. Humbling words from John and humbling expectations for Vanderbilt and a few others at the bottom of the conference. And uh, we've outlined the the top teams we expect to to rival Georgia at the top. We'll see if we can fill in the middle of the conference in the weeks to come. For now, thanks for listening to this edition of SEC Football Unfiltered.